Hello, welcome to More Than Abstract. I'm Pranjal, and I'm joined by Nat. How are you? I'm great. I'm just happy to be here. So, when I say the word nuclear, what's the first thing you think of? Well, I'm a physics nerd, so I think fusion, I think energy, I think bombs. Right. Yeah, nukes is pretty is a pretty common thing uh, that uh, that people think of, and it, it it probably scares most people uh, when they hear the word come up. But of course, we've been exposed to the topic enough that we know that it's not really that scary. You, there's ways to protect yourself. Uh, and the best way to do that is just by having someone who's competent and knowledgeable about the subject in charge. Right? Mm. And drinking a bunch of iodine in case you get radiation poisoning. Right, right. That, that's just a given. Like, I do that for breakfast. Right, yeah, yeah. That's day one stuff. That's the kind of story that I want to tell you about. Not Chernobyl, because that's been explored plenty. I'm, I want to talk to you about the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Mm. There's that nuclear word again. But really, how scary was all this stuff? Like, we were alive during all this. So um, I'm not sure about you, but I wasn't really worried very much when I heard all this stuff. I mean, it was just one of those things that it was... <laughs> like, like most things, it was a, uh, well, if you live in California, you're screwed. I mean, that's yeah. that's just the case all the time, though, right? You know, it was this big scare of, like, the oceans are going to be contaminated and the world's going to become radioactive from this meltdown because the radiation's being dumped into the sea, and that's going to end up everywhere. But I at least live in the Midwest of the United States. There's a lot of land around me that, if anything happens, I got a pretty big buffer, so, like, I was never personally worried, but I know that, like, I have friends out in California who were, who were sweating it. Oh, okay. Well, you know, maybe you should have been. <laughs> Uh, the, okay, this this is not the twist I was expecting. <laughs> this whole thing, while I was doing the research for it, I didn't realize just how bad it was. Like, I thought it was like, you know, they had it under control and stuff. Like, and I, I, I guess I'll get into it, but you might have been exposed just a bit. Not too much, just a bit. I mean, a, a, a rat a day keeps the doctor close at hand. <laughs> yeah. So since I'm talking about a nuclear disaster, I'm going to make a lot of uh, analogs to the USSR. But when we think uh, of Chernobyl and the USSR in 1986, you might not think that it's filled with people who are you know, highly educated or particularly care about their jobs or take particular care about safety. Mm -hmm. But Japan has a good reputation in this department. So how did all this go wrong? How bad was it really? And should should you be worried? I guess I'll get into that. I, th I think you already gave the ending away there, which was, spoiler, you should have been, or maybe you should still be. Well, only a little bit. All right, so let's get into it. And a bit of background before we start. Uh, Japan gets tsunamis and earthquakes pretty often. Often enough that they know how to deal with them. So they have seawalls to protect themselves against high waves, and they make their buildings specifically to withstand the shaking of earthquakes, like California. Also, they are ever vigilant of this danger since it's pretty much always there. You might find it surprising that earthquake an earthquake would cause all this, but before we get into the timeline of all this, I need to give you a broad idea of how a nuclear power plant works. Okay. So there's, there's nuclear fuel, heats up water nearby, and turns it into steam, goes into a turbine, makes power. That's generally how things make power. Mm -hmm. In normal working conditions, they're pretty safe. Like, if you recall about Chernobyl... Sorry, uh, uh, 
how familiar i know i i actually know nothing about chernobyl only that there are zombies that live there now because of the radiation that's a fact (laughs) zombies live in chernobyl no one will correct me on that oh no i don't know if that's like actually a thing i'm just convinced that radioactive monsters now live in chernobyl I mean, there is that ant that like has a fungus in it that makes turns it into a zombie. Maybe those Cordyceps. live in it. So, you know. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I played The Last of Us. I know how that works. So Chernobyl blew up because there was an unusual circumstance going on and a bit of a design flaw that the reactor had that Fukushima did not. What was the design flaw in Chernobyl? I know that's not like the main thing, but like, was it a short? Did they not have enough water? Uh, it was so there when uh, I'll get into this as well, but okay. like when um, a nuclear power plant's just like, we got to shut everything down, something's going to blow up, they hit the button called scram. So, mm-hmm. you as you hit the scram button, essentially turn the reaction off slowly over time by dumping this stuff in that slows the reaction. Okay. But the way that they designed the stuff that slows the reaction means that as it gets down, as, as it's lowered down, mm-hmm. it speeds up the reaction, like, exponentially. And yeah, so, you're trying to, like, burn off the fuel. Yeah. Okay. So, essentially, uh, what happened was that they were saying, we got to stop this. They lowered it down. It actually increased the reaction, caused a steam explosion that exploded, and then a hydrogen explosion that also exploded, and that exposed the reactor core to the environment. Hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the spark notes of it. <laughs> I'll take the spark notes. That's scary enough. Continue. So I'll start. Uh, I'll try to make a timeline of this. I'll go in chronological order. And our timeline starts three years prior to the accident in 2008. Apparently, the power company that runs Fukushima, it's called TEPCO, they made a report that was like, if we get a really bad earthquake nearby, they took the example of an earthquake that happened about 100 years ago, then a tsunami could be big enough to impact the power plant itself. And caused a bunch of damage. But they didn't really submit this report to any regulatory body since it's really unlikely that it would happen since it was 100 years ago and it wasn't really, it hasn't been any, anything that happened. I was going to say, it kind of sounds like one of those, you know, if pigs fly, you know, if pigs yeah. with laser beam eyes suddenly take to the skies, like, my house is not very safe. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. But like, pigs with laser beam eyes flying through the sky, come on. Just wait till the next episode. Pigs with laser beam eyes. <laughs> okay, I say we scrap this whole nuclear power plant and you just tell me about pigs with laser eyes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so people just went on with their day. Maybe pigs with laser eyes will come by when people get radioactive or something. So. That's what's in Chernobyl. Then the day of the earthquake hit. It was March 11th, 2011 at 2.46 p.m., so just a regular time of the day. Let me show you a picture. The Fukushima Daiichi thing was 10 years ago? Yeah. Ooh, boy. Haven't felt that old until right now. Okay, so you in the picture you can see there's two buildings. Uh, one through four is the Daiichi building, while five and six are the Daini building. Okay. So th- those are all reactors. So this place has six reactors. Okay. And the only problem happened in the Daiichi building. The Daiichi building was perfectly fine because everything they built was newer and up to higher regulatory codes. So it didn't have any problems. Okay. I'll, I'll post a link to, to this on our Twitter. So follow us on, uh, follow us on Twitter at More Abstract. You can see from the picture... Reactors are pretty close to the coast. You can already see the coast right near there mm-hmm. and the seawall next to it. Yeah, it's not far away. It's like on the water. 
It's beachfront yeah. reactor property. <laughs> yeah. Instead of building like a bunch of beach houses there. Uh, reactor. But don't worry, don't worry. There's a seawall there. Establishing big waves. So it'll be fine. At the time, reactors 4, 5, and 6 were shut down for routine ins- inspection and they're being refueled, while 1, 2, and 3 were still running. But the moment the quake hit, the reactors felt the shaking immediately and were like, oh my god, we gotta stop this. Scram button was hit to stop the reaction. Mm-hmm. And this time they didn't have a design flaw like Chernobyl, so it didn't explode. So when this scram button was hit, they were just turning the reactor off. But mm-hmm. they can't, they, it, this thing doesn't really have a power switch. So they, since nuclear fuel is always on, you need to slow the reaction down over time. It's right. still dangerous while it's being slowed, but, you know... Right, right. It takes time. It's not an... Imi- it's a scram button. It's not a scatter button. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Someone walks in the middle of the party and throws a glass bottle on the ground. Scatter! And then everyone <laughs> takes off because the cops showed up. <laughs> yeah. So you do this by throwing control rods in, uh, which mm-hmm. uh, slows the reaction down. And given enough time, it'll be safe. Like, you can walk in there and it'll be fine. I imagine that's probably like what lead, the control rods, like probably made out of lead or. Uh, it's usually a neutron absorber. I don't know if lead is. Usually they use boron or something like that. More like but, boring. <laughs> they also use something called zerk alloy, which I'll get into later. So these control rods are in. They uh, they need water running through the system just because the control they can't do everything. Water has to do a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the computer throws control rods in the scram button but uh, but that'll get rid of the power source that they have after all this is a power plant and they're if they're not bringing electricity how are they going to power their electronics monitoring and most importantly their cooling water pumps how are they going to stay on well these plants have emergency uh, external emergency diesel generators to keep things flowing uh, in essence so long as water keeps flowing and the control rods are fully in there's really no danger from a reactor mm-hmm. and this is the state of fukushima before the tsunami hit. I foresee a couple of issues. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Diesel generators probably don't do so well with water. I'm mm-hmm. just going right. to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. I'm also kind of picturing these control rods are on like a crane machine type deal. Mm-hmm. And we all know that crane machines are really good at just like dropping things right at the last second. You're close. You're close about the second one. You got the first one exactly right. Oh, dang. Okay, let's go. So, uh, so once the earthquake happens, you expect a giant mass of water that comes and hit the coast. That's just what happens. And Japan knows that better than most. So they built these sea walls to protect populated and sensitive areas. But the first, uh, but as the first wave hits, it, it's very clear that they just aren't big enough. The waves from this earthquake were 15 meters or 50 feet above sea level. So massive. Whoa. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to think, like, I think my house is, like, I think at the tallest point, it's, like, 20 feet. It submerged your entire house. More than two of my houses tall. Mm-hmm. And it's a rush of water that's coming in, too, so it could do some damage. Yeah, water's heavy. That's the thing that I think that people don't realize. Sorry, quick aside. Tsunamis are horrifying because water is heavy. Yeah. A gallon of water is eight pounds. And a gallon of water is literally the size of a gallon jug, right? That's probably about, we'll say, a foot tall. So one, like, column of that wave is going to be 50 of those tall. That's 400 pounds of water. God. 
in just like a strip, right? That's two of me in one little bit of this wave. And that wave probably spanned like half a mile, quarter of a yeah. mile. Yeah, that's insane. Water's scary, yo. Water is scary, yo. So while this is really destructive, I think Japan builds its uh, important buildings to a high standard. So they ended up surviving the crash, but it was the fact that there was water in the first place, as you alluded to, mm. that caused any problems. Mm -hmm. Relating back to Chernobyl, it was also a power plant, but it, it only exploded because it was put in a weird situation. They were trying to do a safety test at the time, and they were just like, yeah, just do it with a safety test, and then it exploded. Wow, the ultimate irony that Chernobyl exploded during a safety test. I mean, I know that Chernobyl affected hundreds of thousands of lives, potentially, and it's not something to joke about, but like, come on, you gotta laugh at it. was a safety test? Yeah, it's really ironic. The worst nuclear meltdown in history happened during a safety test? Moral of the story, don't do them. Don't do safety yeah, just, tests. Just don't do it. Don't mm -hmm. do it. They were doing the safety test because uh, because they were their backup generators that fed cooling water into the reactor were purposefully shut shut down, and then you know the design flaw came in. That's what's going to happen here, but not on purpose. As as you said, generators plus water equals no power, mm -hmm. and well, water flooded these diesel generators, and they went down, mm -hmm. which stops the cooling water flow, and that's mm -hmm. really bad. Mm -hmm. But no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. There's backup emergency generators to keep things going. And the good thing is, they're built on the top of a nearby hill uh, above the tsunami. So more than 50 feet up. So they're just fine. They're working perfectly good. Mm, but okay. bad news, the switching station that connects the backup generators to the cooling water pumps is flooded and no longer working. And nobody thought of making a backup emergency switching power station. Or switching station. <laughs> Mm. So they installed a second AIO cooler for their nuclear mm -hmm. reactor, but they just forgot to plumb it up, right? They were just like, well, if one of them breaks, how are we going to get get it on? No, it doesn't matter because that won't break. There's no way. Yeah. There's yeah, yeah. no way that both our backup generators and our switching station could possibly get damaged at the same exact time. Where are they yeah. located? Uh, yeah, they're right next to each other. Mm -hmm, seems fine to me. Yeah, just go ahead and hook that up. Let's go. You, you know, the, the Daiichi plant, which was made in the 60s, I believe, while its switching station broke, the Daini plant, which was made in the 90s, didn't because they were like, what if a tsunami hits? Well, we got to prepare for that. <laughs> and they, it's very evident which is the favorite child. <laughs> yeah, even though they have fewer reactors. Yeah, like Daini was definitely the like the younger child, prodigal son. You know, mm -hmm. did really well in school, was good at sports, etc. And Daiichi was the like older child that was still successful, but like the parents didn't pay it any kind of mind or whatever. <laughs> it's like, why don't you be more like your brothers? Like I am. Uh, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm just old. So so now. They have no power to the cooling water pumps. Now they're really screwed. Mm -hmm. And since nuclear power, nuclear fuel is always burning, it, e it keeps eating through that water in the tank, slowly turning it all into steam. And now it's a race against the clock. Every minute lost brings you just that much closer to a complete core meltdown. And it was a race that was lost. But so here's the thing, right? I saw The Dark Knight Rises, mm -hmm. right? And there's that whole thing about, like, 
oh, if the reaction's going to go critical, we're just going to flood this thing. Like the fancy Batman nuclear reactor or whatever that Bruce Wayne built directly underneath the like Gotham River or whatever was like, well, worst case scenario, we just open this one door and we flood it. And now it doesn't work anymore. Now it's dead. It's inert. And this is nothing. Aren't they right by the ocean? Don't they have like some emergency like open this door and let a whole bunch of water rush in? Like there's water everywhere. There's a tsunami. Yeah, there, there is water everywhere. They are, of course, 40 feet above sea level. So they need to pump it in. I, I guess it would mm. be funny if like, you know, a core meltdown's happening. Landslide, throw the power plant into the ocean and then it's fine. Because like the core of the reaction is contained, right? Yeah. So the nuclear material is in theory shielded. I'm of course talking from the perspective of somebody who knows almost nothing about nuclear reactors. I know exactly the two or three minute spiel you gave me at the beginning of this talk. But like, can't you just open up a, a loading bay door and just like plop it into the ocean? And I mean, like, there's no way it can heat up the ocean. The only thing that can do that is global warming. Thank you. You know what? Maybe they should add something like that. Just like a trap door. Pull <laughs> the lever. Pull the lever. Wrong lever. <laughs> so actually, what you're saying is what the the re, uh, the rescue or not the rescue effort, the cleanup effort is going to try to do but not throw it into the ocean just throw the ocean into it hmm. one sounds a lot harder than the other have you ever tried to throw the ocean it something tells me it's not a straightforward process well we'll get into that so five hours after the earthquake a state of emergency was declared and evacuation started for residents three kilometers away from the reactor since they're just like eh, we don't know what's gonna happen just, just get out of here but not too far Without power to cool anything, nothing could really be done till you got new generators or batteries and had them set up to fixing and fix the myriad of problems in between the new power source and the pumps. By the time all this was set up, reactor one had already, its fuel had already melted down, it started to at least. What does that mean? It, it sounds really scary and given a lot of weight, but why does it matter if a core melts down? All that means is that the fuel rods the nuclear fuel rods that were hot uh, while it running get really hot, like like hot enough that the fuel starts to melt into a liquid. So you start with solid nuclear fuel rods and turn it into liquid nuclear fuel. And well, that's, that's really hard to contain. Is it not technically a plasma at that point? <laughs> you know, if it's a little hotter, it could definitely be. Oh, okay. So it's not plasma hot. It's like... Okay, okay, I got you. So, so this liquid nuclear fuel is really hard to pick up. Imagine trying to pick up some water with a fork. Pretty much impossible. But picking up ice with a fork, it's child's play. Speak for yourself. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. It wasn't known at the time, but the nuclear fuel was incredibly hot. That was incredibly hot. Fell to the bottom of the encasing at the bottom of the reactor core. So like you were saying, it was it's not held by a crane, but it's held by this fork-like structure that mm -hmm. keeps the fuel rods in. And once it's liquid, it falls out of this structure. Mm -hmm. But hey, it's fine. It's fine. Unlike Chernobyl, it's if something goes wrong, there's a massive bubble around the reactor that, like you said, that's, that's some thick concrete that holds the, uh, the radiation in, keeping it from getting into the atmosphere or the groundwater. That being said, it's only concrete, and it's only so thick. I was going to say, you got molten 
nuclear material here. I don't think concrete's saving you too much. It buys you some time, but like... Yeah, the, the, the hot fuel slowly ate away at the encasing. And simulations showed that it could have been a foot away from exiting the concrete into the ground and then possibly into the ground supply water, uh, ground water supply, which would have been ugh, really bad. <laughs> but nobody knew for sure at the time. And in the end, it didn't actually eat up through the bottom of the containment chamber. In fact, the melted fuel didn't get very far at all. Like there was a lot of concrete left for, for, before it got to the bottom. But everyone was terrified that, oh, maybe it could have. Like, what if it gets down to the water supply? It's going to be terrifying. I do remember that being a thing. I remember, I remember the discussions on the news about, you know, if it breaks containment, it's going to get into the water supply. And if it gets into the water supply, chances are it's going to be like a global issue. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think there are some, of, some of their water supplies are brackish, right? Like, I think right. that it would, there was like a way that the groundwater could have permeated into the oceans. I think like that was one of the big concerns oh. for a while. Oh, oh, I see. Well, luckily that didn't happen. So people were terrified of this, as, as you said, but there was no radiation leak from the ground. So that's, that's always good. They didn't, uh, instead they leaked radiation on purpose <laughs> through venting. So since the fuel was turning nearby water into steam, and they didn't have control rods to cool the melted nuclear fuel down faster. There was a lot of steam that built up in reactor one, and that could be really dangerous. It started applying pressure to the containment chamber. So too much pressure, you'll get a steam explosion like in Chernobyl, and nobody wants that. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically building a grenade at that point, right? Yeah. Like, grenades operate by, by creating, it's, it's gas in a contained metal vessel, and it rapidly <laughs> expands. Mm-hmm. Right, like you're, you're basically they they had a giant grenade, made of concrete and nuclear fuel. Yeah, if that containment wall broke, you'd have another Chernobyl where nuclear fuel is in, exposed to the elements and poisoning all of Japan. So the next day, instead at five thirty a.m., instead of waiting for this buildup to happen, they instead vented some of the steam and radioactive elements into the atmosphere. That's how you might have been exposed to this. This steam went pretty far. It actually got all the way up to Michigan. Well. <laughs> it's not a high dosage, but it, yeah, it's still... I mean, like, I eat bananas most days, so I'm already radioactive. That's fair. It's, you probably, it's probably a banana that you ate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should be afraid or not afraid of what happened. I'm getting so many mixed signals. Is it a banana? Is it 10 bananas worth? How many bananas worth of radiation was I potentially exposed to? Let me look it up. Very little. The minimum value that's detectable in this chart. Mm. So a lot of bananas worth of radiation potentially. <laughs> it's pretty, it was really sparsely spread out. Like It covered most of North America, most of the North Pacific, and parts of Russia as well. Very sparse. So I, I, I wouldn't be too worried, but you know, you, you probably breathed it in. But it kind of blanketed everything. Yeah, a lot. So we've been focusing on Reactor 1 this whole time, just because it was the most intense part. Just like when people talk about Chernobyl, they're talking about Reactor 4 and nothing about the rest that were just doing just fine until the fourth was throwing a tantrum. But Reactors 2 and 3 were still a problem in, in Fukushima. 
While about 70% of Reactor 1's fuel melted down, only 33% of 2's melted down, and 3 was still dangerous, like it was still on the precipice of melting down, but it wasn't that bad yet. So, Reactor 2 had a similar treatment where they also had to vent steam, and they used the generators to pump more water into that. Reactors 4, 5, and 6 were all well-behaved, so good on them. <laughs> and and were those Daiichi or Daini reactors? Two of them were Daini. The other one was just, uh, I guess... Uh, it was also being refueled. Of course they were Daini. Daini's just so well-behaved all the time. <laughs> yeah. Why don't I just leave, Mom? And now, a day after the earthquake, after they vented a whole bunch of radioactive material, now the evacuation zone around the Daiichi plant is 10 kilometers out. Significantly bigger. It's not that big. It's like... It's like six miles. Six, six miles? Yeah, I mean, considering the fact that Japan is not super huge, like, landmass-wise, that's a pretty appreciable amount of space. Okay. It's also right. more than triple the original evacuation radius. Yeah, yeah. I told you about how Chernobyl, there were two explosions, a steam explosion and a hydrogen explosion. Right. So we averted the steam explosion. Now it's time for the hydrogen explosion that comes from it. So in Chernobyl... You get a hydrogen explosion from having hydrogen gas and oxygen gas in the right mixture, and then that becomes explosive. Mm -hmm. And guess what's going to happen next? There are components in the core of the Fukushima reactor made of this thing called Zerk alloy, and it's used to control the reaction, those control rods. Normally, their working temperature is around 300 Celsius or 550 Fahrenheit. And in this environment, Zerk alloy works great. But in environments like the core meltdown, temperatures can get up to around 1,200 Celsius or 2,200 Fahrenheit. And let me guess, you start getting hydrogen as a result. Yeah. The Zerk alloy starts to rust. Uh, by that, I mean it starts taking oxygen from its environment, and right. that goes into the alloy. But that's usually not a problem. Like, the Statue of Liberty doesn't blow up because it's rusting or anything. Yeah, but concrete's usually made of, like, silica dioxide. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, so it was probably, like, oxidizing as a result of coming into contact with concrete. Well, it was still separated from the concrete. I think it was... So the reports say that it was mostly from the water itself. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yep, yep. It's ionizing water. Okay. It, the H2O breaks up. The oxygen goes into rust the zerk alloy, and all of a sudden you have hydrogen gas that's left over. Mm-hmm. Which is explosive, given the right mixture with oxygen. And there was an explosion in Reactor 1. Not in the primary containment chamber, uh, rather in a secondary containment one. So it, it wasn't exposed to the elements exactly, the reactor core. Which is good, but also bad. Yeah, hydrogen explosions aren't typically a good thing. Yeah. The good thing is, throughout this whole process, people were constantly pumping water into the reactor to keep the fuel cold. That's pretty much all you can do, since you can't exactly send someone in there to pick this stuff up and throw it in the ocean. This is going to be a bit of an aside, but the the crew started by pumping fresh water into it, but ended up switching to seawater, and TEPCO, the power company, told the guys on the ground to stop doing that and go back to fresh water, even though there's seawater literally all around them. And the boss of the power plant just ignored their orders and kept on throwing seawater in. This... I wanted to t tell you about this because this whole process was m filled with a lot of poor communication that was going on. And sometimes people just didn't listen to orders like this. People didn't want to send bad news up the ladder. 
So you get mixed reports for people higher up. And well, that was, it was a bit of a problem. I, that's an interesting thing culturally too. Like, I don't know much about, you know, Eastern, Eastern culture. Right. But I know that there, there definitely is like sort of like social hierarchy structures and a lot of that commands like a lot of like respect aspects mm-hmm. of it as well. Mm-hmm. It seems interesting that like people would disregard orders slash not communicate up the ladder. Yeah. Right? Like it's kind of, now, of course, I'm a naive white guy in America talking about something that I have no idea about. Right. But that alone, I think, is actually a little surprising. Also, side note, if someone was going to go in and, like, pick up this molten material and put it in the ocean, you know it would have been an unpaid intern. Oh, <laughs> they yeah. Would have sent, like, they would have sent Chip the intern in to take care of that. <laughs> it's professional experience. Put that on your resume, kid. You're welcome. Actually, on that note, do you remember the, there was a news story about, like, uh, elderly people uh, were volunteering to be a part of the cleanup effort because if they got exposed to radiation, they wouldn't have long to live. I thought that was like so heartwarming that like people would volunteer to be in the situation. Yeah. Wow. So not Chip, but maybe Grandma would be in there. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> Send Chip in, <laughs> please. Send he he signed up for this. Well, I guess Send Chip in. <laughs> There was a lot of poor communication going on, and after all this, the prime minister at the time of Japan made a statement like, everyone is liable in the situation. Apparently, people were just in, uh, had the thought process that, oh, we're in Japan. It must be like the most high-tech and safe place in the world, so nothing could ever go wrong. So they didn't really think of, you know, filing that report that could make things better or mm. doing anything more about that, and it was kind of like a systemic problem and you know people took responsibility for it now near the end of the day after the earthquake so the second day the evacuation zone is extended to 20 kilometers and that was just the end of day two all this happened within two days hold on to your seats folks it's about to get wild i'm mostly gonna stop the the play-by-play right now because the rest of the reports are pretty similar to the other re- for the other reactors like venting steam you know pumping water in there we've got a we've got a fireman's line everyone's throwing buckets on this thing of yeah. concrete yeah. there's a vent people yeah. are getting bananas worth of radiation mm-hmm. no bananas allowed on scene this would make this episode too long but i'll mention this one thing two days after the earthquake there was another hydrogen explosion that set off reactor four, the well-behaved one. Uh, it looks like hydrogen came from reactor three and that was melting down, and it went to reactor four that it released and burned it down. Uh, not burn it down, but cause a fire. So no matter how much Daiichi was trying to hold it together to be like Daini, just <laughs> couldn't, couldn't do it. Do it. Yeah, couldn't do, couldn't it. do it. Couldn't live up to his brother's shadow. <sighs> so this is a sad tale of... The middle shot the middle child. <laughs> Even though there are only two. <laughs> Daichi was the middle child of two. <laughs> and we all know it now. So uh, th- this fire is actually what released a lot of radiation into neighboring towns. But it only read about three to four times the radiation you get from a plane ride. And of course, that eventually subsided. So it wasn't actually that bad. Chernobyl was pretty bad. This wasn't mm-hmm. that bad. All because of that containment wall. So, not in the timeline at all. This whole situation sounds really stressful. But, 
there was no radiation-linked deaths to all of this, considering the radiation was pretty low to start with. Uh, and even more than that, there was a psychological toll, a toll on people that were evacuated. Mm-hmm. It's got to be really tough. Like, you were thrown out of your home just because a power plant was poorly managed or old. And there's this looming fear of radiation that's just, that is the cause of all this. Mm-hmm. Mental health is a, is a really hard problem to tackle, and even more so when you have no control over whether the government decides to make a power plant where you live. Didn't even think about that. If, if there was one near you, would you know? There is one near me, actually. Oh, it's there not is? a nuclear one. There's a hydroelectric plant, oh, like, okay. not far away from me. But who knows? It could just be chocked full of radiation right now. Maybe that's <laughs> where the banana surplus is, and there's just a... A, a, an excess amount of radiation emanating from that building. Oh my god. It's full of Brazil nuts and bananas. <laughs> this guy's running around with a Geiger counter. I know there's a, a pile of uranium here. So, oh my god, it's a ton of bananas. It's a ton of bananas. So the cleanup effort is still going on to this day. They've been able to clean up reactor 3 and I think 2, but 1 is I don't I don't, don't think I've heard anything about 1. And all this started an anti-nuclear movement in Japan, which is very wow. understandable. Yeah. I mean, very understandable. Sure. You know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Don't put that nuke here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I guess, like, generally, I feel like nuclear power, usually it's pretty safe. But when people, like, have stories like, I was thrown out of my home because there was a power plant that there was a tsunami and stuff like that. It's kind of hard to argue with that. It is. I think that a flip side to that argument, though, is if you're going to build a nuclear power plant, don't make it beachfront. Just don't yeah. make it beachfront. Yeah. Just, just, just don't just don't make it don't make it beachfront. You can have a tourist destination there. You don't need to have a power plant. Get that out of here. Yeah. Put a resort there. Be good business moguls and put a resort on the beach. Let them look at the seawall. <laughs> don't put a nuclear power plant there. Yeah. See, that's the thing that I'm scared of, because, like, the Great Lakes in Michigan, there are nuclear power plants, like, on the shoreline. Oh. Like, on the shoreline. Like, I, I've been to a nuclear power plant that was, like, a mile away from Lake Michigan. Which, a mile sounds like a lot, but the fact that, but the fact that I can run a mile means it is not a very big distance. Right, right. <laughs> Right? And, like, we get a lot of rain here. Yeah. A lot of rain and snow. Like, that could flood. It yeah. could happen. We won't get, you know, tsunamis in the Great Lakes. But, like, we get flooding like crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe once that happens. Uh, and Michigan's pretty flat. So, like, it'll get to the power plant if it does flood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe they can start putting sandbags around the power plant, like, to save their homes or something oh like that. <laughs> Yeah, that. Good thing we have a lot of sand here too. <laughs> Quick, just dig a hole. Okay, so that is the short version of the story behind the nuclear, uh, the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster. So, what do you think? I, I think that we have established canonically, you can be a middle child of two. <laughs> That's insane. Like, it both sounds horrible and not horrible Mm -hmm. all at the same time like the reactor part of it flip-flopped right it was bad it was good it was bad it was good it was really bad it's kind of okay 
Mm-hmm. But the lasting, it's they're still cleaning it up. It's been 10 years. Yeah. Also, side note, what is the half-life of the radiation that was in the reactor? Oh. Like, I didn't even think about that, but, like, what's the half-life on that? Because maybe, you know, maybe we should be more concerned about if the half-life of the radioactive material that was released in that steam is, like, a couple hundred years. That's bad. Half-life. Okay, this is actually a thing that I know, so I will explain it. Uh, half-life is the amount of time that expires before half of the radioactive material is present. So if you think of it like an apple, right? The half-life is how long it takes for half of the apple to decay. Mm-hmm. If you leave it out on your counter, how much how much time elapses before it shrinks down or somebody takes a couple of bites out of it? If somebody comes by and is just like, oh, there's half an apple. I guess I'll eat it. I'll yeah, exactly. Eh, another half. Yeah. <laughs> And the scary thing about that is, if you think about it, if you keep dividing something in half, it never goes to zero. It just keeps dividing in half and gets really, really small. And eventually you just call it zero because that's basically what it is. Yeah. But in the context of radiation, sorry to, sorry to take over the ship here. Oh, I actually yeah, know okay. something in this podcast yeah. now. Go ahead. If you have something that's radioactive... And it take it has a half life like Chernobyl. I know. I think the half life of the radioactive material at Chernobyl is like on the order of hundreds of years. So that means that for the next hundreds of years, all of Chernobyl is still radioactive, like dangerously. So you have to wait for that radiation to decay, mm-hmm. to to die out before you can actually even think about going there safely. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll have to see if all of us get cancer at some point. Or superpowers. Or superpowers. You know, we could be zombies, just like in Chernobyl. No, 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 no. Chernobyl has laser shooting flying pigs. Sorry, We have sorry. canonically established what is at Chernobyl now. Yeah, it is yeah, not right. zombies. My mind has been changed. It is flying pigs with lasers in their eyes. And that is how we made light of a terrible global issue from <laughs> 10 years ago. Uh, if you like this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a, re- a review. Tell us what you think about it and tell a friend about it. Uh, and for more supplementary content, like those pictures, uh, follow us on Twitter at More Abstract. And you can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts. 